Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. My podcasts often deal with distressing situations which are not suitable for children and some adults for that matter. Some of what I discuss may trigger uncomfortable emotions. If that does occur, please reach out to Lifeline, Beyond Blue or any other support service or person you feel comfortable with. Please keep in mind that there's always two sides, sometimes more, to every story. My guests provide their recollection of an event or incident, sharing their thoughts and their emotions, but it's theirs. Not everybody will agree with them. I never want to tell any guest what to say or what not to say, so there will always be others that see it differently, and I understand that. Hello, I'm Narelle Fraser. I was a cop with Victoria Police for 27 years, 15 of those as a detective, having dealt with all types of crime from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. I witnessed the effect crime has on those involved and became one of those victims myself in 2012 when I was diagnosed with PTSD. However, out of adversity comes other opportunities like this, my own podcast. I'm still pinching myself. Thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. I need to apologise in advance for the audio of today's podcast, but I hope you understand I couldn't ask our guest to repeat her story. We'll all just have to grin and bear it. Thanks. As I was walking, I was almost to the train station, maybe about 100 metres away, and I was yanked by my hair into an alleyway and stumbled on backwards and put into an alcove by a man who told me to remove my stockings. I want you to put yourself in my next guest's shoes for just a couple of minutes. You've just landed yourself your dream job as a legal assistant in a criminal law firm, which is one of the most highly regarded law firms in the country. You really have to pinch yourself that it's happened. But then you've worked hard for this opportunity and you've made sacrifices along the way. And these sort of jobs just don't land in your lap. Your relationship with your partner, it's going from strength to strength. Life couldn't get any better, could it? Within days of starting your dream job, You leave your dream office to head home to your dream boat of a boyfriend and something happens. You tell no one, but you're not sure why. 
you decide to pretend it never happened and try to continue on as normal, home to your partner, quiet night in front of the fire, go to sleep and back to work the following morning. And in the following days, into your dream job, a major case lands on your desk. This is what criminal law firms do. They represent some of society's most dangerous, violent and sadistic psychopaths. The case is a rape case and the alleged offender calls you from jail where he's been remanded to discuss how the firm is going to represent him. You've got no recollection of finishing that phone call, of going home and of going to bed. You struggle to get out of bed the following morning and you struggle to go to work. You are completely exhausted. You can't hold a conversation, let alone start reading the brief of evidence regarding your new case. And then the unthinkable happens. You're fired and you haven't been at your dream job much longer than a month. You know why you're exhausted. You know why you can't get out of bed, but you just can't tell anyone because you don't have the words and you can't quite comprehend it yourself. So how does someone go from the world at their feet one minute to an almost zombie-like state the next? Being dragged into a laneway and raped will do that. What we're going to do today is we're talking, obviously, about rape. So I need you um, as the listener to consider if it's suitable for you because it is confronting, it's raw, but it's real. But what it also does is provide hope that you can get back up, albeit slowly, with patience, with support, belief and an inner strength. So thank you so much for your time today, Beck. Do you mind if I call you Beck? No, go for it. Thank you, and for sharing such a traumatic time in your life. But let's just start off. It hasn't actually been easy, has it, uh, organising today? We've had a few goes at it, um, but it's been due to a huge storm in Victoria that happened a few weeks ago, and you and your family were one of many affected, and you had no electricity for a week. Can you tell us about that? That would be unbelievable. (laughs) It was like living in the 1820s. It was dressed like, I don't know if it's appropriate to say, but like Eskimos under blankets and I've got a five-month-old baby so hitting up bottles was <laughs> was fun. Um, but, you know, gave me the opportunity to get to know the people that I live with, which are my parents. They seem nice. So, so Beck, how did you boil uh, the water for your baby's bottle? So we're lucky enough to have gas on our stove, but we didn't have the ignition thing. And my fingers are too fat to actually light the stove, but I could get my parents to, to do it because I've got sausage fingers. And then, yeah, we have to heat the heat up the water and then put the bottle in. It was a nightmare. You've got sausage fingers. They must be sausage fingers of the sausage finger of all sausage fingers um, to not be able to start the, the stove. But anyway, your parents helped you. I just can't get the match under into the, the grate of the stove. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank God for parents. At least they can I know, help right? you with that. <laughs> they do come in handy every now and then. <laughs> oh, very rarely, but sometimes. 
<laughs> hey, you can't say that because you're living with them. Uh, you just said then that you've uh, got a little baby. I was just going to say, can we start at sort of at the end and tell us how life is these days? But obviously it's pretty busy because you've got a little baby. How old's your little baby? Um, he'll be six months next week, oh, just over a week. Um, so his name's Charles and he's the cutest little weirdo that I've ever had to meet. <laughs> The cutest little weirdo. That's gorgeous. <laughs> he's cute, so I know he's, he's definitely my partner's son. And he's weird, so I know he's definitely mine. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's lovely. So life's obviously a lot better for you these days than um, uh, a number of years ago when you got that dream job. Can can you take us back to landing that dream job, what it was like? Um, so... Well, until I fell pregnant, my day-to-day activities were like a listless blur. But once I found out I was pregnant, it was like light at the end of the tunnel. It was something to concentrate that was so positive. And he was actually born three years and one day after the incident. So I went into labour exactly three years to the day. So statistically, the 27th of December is not a fun day. Um, but when I got the job, I'd previously gone for an interview with that firm and I didn't get that job, which was not unexpected. I had zero criminal law experience. <clears throat> but afterwards, I sent them an email saying, you know, thank you very much for even getting an interview. And I ended up getting a phone call saying, um, you know, we'll quite appreciate that email. Would you still be interested in a position if it ever came up? And of course, I said yes. And a few months later, they said they had a spot for me. So in the November of 2017, I started there and I loved it. And so you loved it. Um, And in my intro, you were there a month um, or about a month, but an incident happened, didn't it, which changed your life just after you started there. It changed your life in the blink of an eye. If you feel comfortable, I don't know how you feel right at this very moment, but do you feel okay about telling us about that incident? Yeah, sorry. Um, one day I finished up, it was the 27th of December, and I think it was a Wednesday, and I finished work for the afternoon and I was walking to the train station. And funnily enough, normally in the mornings I'd walk down a certain side and in the afternoons I'd walk up the other side of the street, just more interesting to look at, I guess. Um, and this day I didn't cross the road for some reason. And as I was walking, I was almost to the train station, maybe about 100 metres away, and I was yanked by my hair into an alleyway and stumbled on backwards and put into an alcove by a man who told me to remove my stockings. And he had a bit of a makeshift sort of knife, like a brick layers trowel and told me to remove my stockings and he um, sort of, I wouldn't say stabbed, but he did sort of, the knife did cut me Um, and he penetrated me with a finger and while he was undoing his pants, he, I sort of, I looked down and I realised I had legs, which is such a funny thing to think like, you know, I was just so frozen in shock. And then I just I looked down and it was like it's the first time I'd ever seen that I had legs, and I just I kicked him, and then I sort of scrunched up my stockings, pulled down my dress, and walked on out of that alleyway and got on the train. So he was attempting to, uh, he's trying to take off his pants. I don't know what his intentions were, but yeah, 
that's what happens. And I don't really – I remember bits and pieces now, even less now. But yeah. Boy, that is um, that is life-changing on so many levels. You said that he uh, he yanked you by the hair – and pulled you into an alleyway, and you said that he, he sort of like stabbed you. Whereabouts did he stab you, and why did he stab you? Do you know? Um, I think it was an accident that he stabbed me. I think he was just a little bit frantic. <laughs> um, not that that excuses it. Uh, he the knife hit me sort of like on my bikini line, quite below. So, right, and was there much? that you can remember, was there much conversation? Like was he telling you what to do or, you know, like to say not look or that sort of thing? I don't recall him saying not to look and he didn't have his face covered in in any way. Um, He kept just saying take off his stockings and like being the middle of December I had very thin ones on. Um, But I always made a point that if I was going to work, I was going to look professional. So I wore stockings. But I remember he was overdressed for the heat of the day. Like he had layers and layers on. It's ridiculous. But, yeah, he just kept saying, remove your stockings. I think he called me a bitch, which I really don't like that word. <laughs> did, did you ever get a look at him? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, until recently he was the face that I saw every night when I went to sleep. Now that's sort of, it's becoming, you know, less, what's the word, um, less clear in my mind, I guess. I still remember what he looks like. If I saw him again, I know it for sure. You said you kicked him. What did he do when you kicked him? Um, he just looked like I kicked him in the groin, um, which was no easy feat when you're stopping to remain your knees. Um, and he just sort of winced in pain, sort of crumpled and backed away a little bit, which gave me the room to move out. And I just, like, because I was in an alcove, so I just walked out of the alleyway and turned right and off I went to the train. You, you make it sound very, uh, and I apologise, I'm, I'm just thinking to myself, you say you just uh, walked to the end of the alleyway, turned left or whatever it is and walked to the train. Were you uh, hysterical or were you just, like, what were you feeling at that time? Um, I don't, like, and I can't explain how, like, this is rational or whatever, but I just walked. Like I was calm. It was almost like I'd been practically, you know, like you get spooked by a bird in the city or something and then you just keep walking. <laughs> like, I think I, I was so in shock that I didn't know whether to run or whether to just fall on the floor. So I just walked. And there were, there were other people around in the city once I got onto the road. Um. So, and there was actually quite a few women, so I just walked at their speed and walked with them. Okay. And so your stockings, were you able to, uh, they were off, is that right? Um, so they were pulled down to my knees during the incident and then I hitched them back up. Okay, so then you get up, um, you're in shock or you believe you, oh, of course you would be in shock, and you turn and you walked and you were walking with some other women or whether they were women or men, but you were walking to the train station. So what were you thinking when, like, to get onto the train? Did this incident, uh, were you going over it in your mind or were you 
putting it aside or how what were you thinking on the way home in the train um so actually one of my friends at the time she called me and she was whinging about some boy (laughs) so I was distracted the whole train home because you just she's the type you just let her talk (laughs) and off she goes so I don't think I really had much time to think about it but once I got off the train I think I stripped in the car park with the train it was like peak hours so I'm not sure what those people thought about me but I had like a whole wardrobe in my car as girls do and just stripped off and drove myself for three minutes home. Okay and so when you say you stripped off you got into some other clothing did you? Yes I, I just badly wanted to change my underwear. So. Okay so you get in the car uh, you strip off get your undies off um, and everything else you can and you've obviously put on some other clothes. Uh, Tell me about when you get home. Um, So once I walked in the door, um, most of it's a blur, but but I just moved to the area. So I think I got in the door, dumped like my bags and stuff and just headed out back out with my purse and I went down High Street. I was looking for a burger place and I remember getting lost so I called my dad because he grew up near that area. Not really, but not far. And I was living with my uncle, who's my dad's brother at the time, just because it was closer to work. And I think I found the burger place, and my boy, I called my boyfriend to come over. And I don't think I was emotional in the phone call with him, but I, I knew that I needed him to be there. And he came over, and I, had, I ate my burger, and... We watched a bit of TV and I wanted him to stay, but he couldn't because he had work the next morning on the other side of town. So after after him leaving, I don't actually remember anything else for the rest of the night. But my uncle had gone to work because he worked night shift, and so I was alone in the house. And I, you know, I've got no memory. I don't know if I had a shower or I really mm. don't know. Hmm. Um, I know the answer to this, but. It would be an obvious question for people that have never been in this situation to ask. So forgive me for asking it, but um, did you at any stage think of us um, asking? Or sorry, not asking. Think of telling or indicating anything to your dad or to your boyfriend? No, not at the time. I really didn't. Like, I think I didn't really know what had happened, so it was just. I just remember feeling emotional when my partner said he was going to leave. <laughs> Yeah, God, I can't imagine. Okay, um, what about, and just something I'm thinking about now, when you were uh, sort of, let's call it stabbed, um, in the, uh, just above your bikini line, did that bleed? Um, Yes, so that actually required stitches, um, which I did myself, which sounds ridiculous. (laughs) But uh, my uncle was a is a uh, talk talk me through that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my uncle, most of my family, in fact, is um, they uh, nurses or doctors. So I was the rebel who didn't join the family business, although I did three years of a medical degree and then dropped out. <laughs> I'm a family disappointment. Um, I was a rebel for doing war. Um, so I went up to. I've got a memory of going into the bathroom cupboard, and they had like those scary strip things so you just like you basically place them over a wound and it will help it heal up I can't think what they're actually called but yeah he had a bunch of those being a nurse so 
I got a mirror and placed them over. Goodness me. I only wish I had have gone to a hospital or something. There would have been DNA, but I didn't even think about that. Uh, but that's easy to say, Beck, in hindsight, isn't it? But at the time, I imagine you are just so shocked, in shock. And what a lot of people don't understand is that when you are in shock, you don't think rationally, you don't do what people expect you to do. And from anyone else's point of view, that would be almost inconceivable that you could actually stitch yourself up. But it just well, like, I, I think about it now and I just what an idiot. <laughs> no, no, not in fact it's quite the no, not at all. I I just think it's so interesting how somebody reacts to being raped, which is what it was, let's call it for what it was. It's a digital rape, it doesn't matter what it is that you you have been raped. And it just shows how some people react so differently to what I don't know, uh, other people would expect. I, I just find that fascinating. But again, you don't know what's going on. You don't know what's happened and you are not thinking rationally. It's easy to say, oh, I should have gone to the hospital, DNA, but you're not thinking of that at the time, are you? No, I really wasn't. And I think it's like I look back on it and I think, yeah. What is wrong with me? But at the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with me. I just I treated it like a paper cut that was slightly deeper. And yeah. you know, when you get a paper cut, you grab a band aid and off you go. Like it was, yeah, it yeah. was a problem to fix, and I fixed it without looking too deep into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I suppose, how were you able to keep it to yourself and not tell anyone? And again. We are all very different. Some people scream. Some people do what you do is fight or flight. Uh, so there's all different scenarios. But how did you keep it to yourself and not tell anyone? Um, so I saw a lot of briefs for far more serious crimes every single day. Um, and on top of that, I was going home at night and reading um, a case law website where they published all the judgments. So I was obsessed with criminal law. I'd read about and spoken to far worse people and most of those people, their victims were dead or permanently disfigured. So um, their victims weren't able to remember that they had legs or to be able to run away. So I knew I was lucky, unlucky but lucky. Um, so, like, it just didn't occur to me that, you know, it was as bad as it was. Like, you know, Jill Maher and Eurydice Dixon, they were in the news and, they had, you know, real sexual assaults, which they didn't survive. So then part of me wondered, did I smile at this person by, like in the morning and that's why he picked me or did he even pick me? Like was I just luck of a draw? So I didn't really understand what had happened. You just said something then which um, struck a bit of a chord with me. You just said um, that Eridice Dixon and Gilma, they were real sexual assaults. And so what that indicates to me is that, well, I don't know about now, but then you were thinking, well, mine is, you know, I didn't get murdered. Um, I, you know, you were, um, what's the word, um, making your 
incident out to be just a little something rather than, I mean, that is a real, there's nothing uh, real or unreal. It is a sexual assault and a very, very serious one. But it's easy for me to say that because uh, that is, you know, uh, as a police person, um, that is, you don't get much more serious than that, being dragged into a laneway and raped. I just think it's almost demeaning yourself, you know, as to what happened. I can't think of the word demeaning is not the word I'm trying to think of. But anyway, um, yeah, it's just really interesting uh, the way that uh, you have managed that. Um, did you, looking back, did you think that your behaviour changed on that day? Like were you a little bit different the way you were, say, um, dealing with your boyfriend or your parents or work? Um, so I was very much in a zombie-like state and um, – like my best friend with my parents and my boyfriend have all said that my behaviour went from like zero to a hundred. So I became very irritable and short-tempered and I pushed everyone away. I, I isolated myself. And then I think they thought because I, like I did, I went into work that I wasn't functioning. Um, and then I lost my job, which was unpleasant. I think they just put it down to that basically I maxed myself out and burnt out and then lost the job and I was just dealing with the effects of that. So, but, yeah, I became a, a nut job, really. And so when you uh, were oh, sacked, <laughs> uh, did you tell anybody at work? Uh, well, obviously you didn't tell anybody because you said you told no one. No, I didn't. Um, I All I remember from the meeting of where I lost my job is, that I, I remember saying to the HR person that I'd had the worst month of my life and that just that didn't really seem to register. But, and fair enough, like, you know, my performance suffered so and that's not viable for them. So oh, Of course it would. God, how could it not? But, yeah, there was no room for, well, this is why or anything like that. So and at, at the time, like, Jill Ma had passed away, but I don't think you're a DC Dixon had. That came in the following months, and I think that pushed me to bury it further. Like there was no point telling anyone because why would you know it matter? Like, this young girl has lost her life, so I didn't. So I think that's what pushed it further down for me telling people. Yeah. Um, the next question might be a bit um, uh, confronting, but I, I want to ask it because I think it's a a natural question, um, certainly not from a police point of view, but it certainly would be, I think, from a lot of the community in in asking you, um, why didn't you tell anyone? And, and this is not a criticism at all. The reason I'm asking that question is because it's a question nearly every sexual assault victim is asked and um, if they don't report it immediately. So please don't take that as a criticism. I'm asking what I think most uh, people would think. Why didn't you tell somebody? Um, yeah, like I said, I didn't feel like anything, you know, like the people that I dealt with at work, they did far worse things. So I was almost lucky to have gotten off with what I did. And then, yeah, I think the 
someone that passed away from a sexual, like during a sexual assault. I think it was you, Lucy, um, in the coming months. So it was just, it just almost served to make me think well, nothing bad happened to you. Almost like it could have been far worse. Yeah, like almost. Look, this girl died. You lived. Um, you know, you. What am I complaining about? Basically, you should be thankful. You, yeah, 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 yeah. I understand that. And another question again. Uh, please, it's not a criticism. I won't go over it because um, I'm just asking what people would want to know. So. Why didn't you report it to the police? Was there a reason behind that? Um, I just didn't feel like I had anything to say. Is, is that the same sort of reason? Yeah, I just didn't feel like I had anything to tell anyone, really. But I've got, I don't remember thinking, oh, I mustn't tell anyone about this. It was just I didn't have words. Like I was just catatonic, basically. Yeah. And, and I suppose in asking these questions too, I think it's important for people to understand the variety of reasons that sexual assault isn't reported immediately or sometimes not at all. There's just so many um, reasons and yours is, you know, very, very understandable. I thought we might go back a, a little bit. You started to question yourself, didn't you? You said before, oh, did I smile at somebody during the day um, or the morning on the way to work, like in some sort of um, form, asking yourself, did I encourage this? It, can you tell me a bit about that? Um, yeah, so I, like if I, if I have this man has never been found, um, but if I did find him, I have a lot of questions for him. Um, I'm not sure, like, it comes from, I know what I wasn't wearing and more than it's used, but, like, what I was wearing was, was not suggestive in any way, not that that's ever an invitation for anyone. Um, and I just wondered, like, well, did, did I smile at him? Did I, like, why me? Like, it, why did he pick me? Did I look like an easy target? Like, that's good. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I don't understand why it was me that it happened to. Like there were quite a few other women on the street that people have picked on. Like it was, it was 5.30 in the afternoon, so there were lots of people making their way to the train station. And I wasn't necessarily alone. Like there was someone just in front of me and someone behind me. So I do wonder. Oh, no. Of course you would. Uh, I suppose what I was um, thinking about here is the victim blaming that people do. You know, uh, you just said then. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I, I wasn't wearing anything suggestive. Um, and why me? Like, I think, isn't that sad that you have to say that? I mean, even if it was suggestive, you should be able to wear what you like, when you like, without fear of somebody thinking uh, basically she's there for the taking, she wants it because I think we've got to stop thinking like that about what we are wearing, um, worrying that people might think you've encouraged it. And I'm sorry, but that's just what um, some people think, although I do hope and think that that mindset is, is changing. But it's a conversation that we need to have, not just you and me, but the community, that we have to stop asking questions about the victim and we need to be asking more questions about the offender. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, definitely. And I've had someone ask me, was it night time? Like I was trying to make my way home from a respectable job being a respectful member of the community. I was trying to walk one block in the city and I had some asking with it nighter. Who cares what time it was? It shouldn't have happened. And it shouldn't happen no matter what you're wearing. It shouldn't happen you know, what you're doing. It just shouldn't happen. Women should be allowed to walk around. And like afterwards, like, I felt so angry just at the city of Melbourne and like the colour of the, the pavement on the, on the ground. Which I, like I used to love Melbourne like, I used to always find my mother would take me to the city just to like the mine or Tindros or go to a show or something. And I just felt so mad that Melbourne had betrayed me, which is which is silly, but I was just so angry at Melbourne that, and angry that people like this are allowed to walk around and get away with it basically. And that I'm the one that gets questioned. So who's the first person you ever told? Uh, so about ten months after my partner and I were having an argument <laughs> and he mentioned my mental health that was you know, a crazy lunatic I become. And I don't remember thinking, well, maybe I should tell him or whatever. It just it came out of my mouth. And I, don't, I can't even remember what he said or really what I said. 
I can just picture him sitting there, while he's just sitting. Well, nothing that Gary said, and I think he went to bed. <laughs> that was about it. The next morning I woke up and my partner hadn't spoken to anyone about it. He went to sleep before I did, and I was awake before he was. Um, but I woke up and I was walking outside, and my dad just looked over at me and said, Do you know anyone that's been sexually assaulted? Because he's like a possessive wood. And I just sat to the floor. He came over and picked me up and said, No one will ever hurt me again. When did you decide to report it officially to the police? So about two weeks after um, I was having an argument with my mum. <laughs> and she was asking why I never got out of bed and that sort of thing. And I said, um, Dad told you. And she said, You know, if you tell us one thing, you don't tell the other, and it's your you say so. And I told her and she cried and I've never felt so guilty about making her cry. So. And then after I told her I started to get nightmares, nightmares and flashbacks and I think they were always like every now and then and I'd wake up and you know, be uncomfortable but they started to get really intense. Just about four o'clock in the morning but I rang a police station that an extended family member worked out. And I spoke to one of the loveliest members I've ever spoken to. And he was great. Um, and he referred me to a soccer team member for the area that I lived in. Because the station that I rang was over an hour away from my house. And um, I spoke to a soccer, and his name is Molly, and she was, she was lovely. Um, but because the incident had happened in the city, she then had to refer me to the sex crime squad, which that is a bit scarier than pocket. <laughs> um, and the first number that I spoke to, I can't say I really jealous with, and it was not her fault, it wasn't my fault, but um, I just didn't gel with it. So I asked for someone else, which I think was a bit annoying for him. Um, but I was referred to another podcast named Imogen, and she wasn't as maternal as Molly. But she had like a really good, she was almost calculating and analytical. And she was dedicated, like, I, not the other quotes I saw. Um, I could see that she was really dedicated and committed to the job and getting that time. You know, that's a, there's a really important message there because. You said that the, the first person that you spoke to when you went down to the police station was just so lovely and made you feel so comfortable. I can't imagine what would have happened if you went down to that police station and you met somebody uh, or you spoke to somebody that didn't make you feel um, that, um, oh, um not good, you didn't feel good, but believed, I suppose. Like that's a really important part of the process, isn't it? That first, very first contact you have with the police can send you one way or the other, can't it? Yeah, it really can. I guess I'm lucky that no one, I don't, well, not that I know of, no one's ever actually said that they doubt what I've said from the people that I've told. I've never, like, never felt disbelieved, I guess. That's one good thing about society these days. Women are being listened to more and more. 
So I'm grateful for that. How did you find the police process? Could you just tell us that? Uh, yep. So I was arranged to make a formal statement and in again the detective was there and she had another male detective with her at the time. And I remember him asking if it's all right that he's present just because he was male, which, which was fine with me. I don't hold it against the male species for what happened to me. Um, and he was lovely as well. I can't remember his name, unfortunately. Um, I don't remember much of – I remember the room that we were in when we made the statement, and I remember that I stopped halfway through and I asked if I could go get some Subway for lunch. <laughs> um, that's what I remember I had a Subway. That's what I remember. It was odd. Um, yeah, I think I blacked out the process because I did really have to remove it. Um, it, was, yeah. it was difficult making a statement and – after that, I was asked to do like a photo composite image of photos that were really bought. Oh, yes. Um, yep. So I arranged to do that. And that was difficult because I ended up coming face to face with a computer image of the man. It, it makes me feel sick. And I know that image got circulated on this whole internal system. But they did, they, they never put on the news or anything, which. I found frustrating because I thought surely someone must recognise him and they never really explained to me the decision as to why they wouldn't put it on there. Um, it's since then I have a friend that's a detective and she's actually given me the answer as to probably why they wouldn't put it on. So there has been a little bit of, I guess, I don't know how to put it in there. I was told that like my the case was no longer an active investigation. As, you know, I did report it. Over just I think it was a week shy of twelve months, so it was difficult. Like getting CCTV footage, there was none. So the cases it's never going to be closed until they find a person, but it's not an active thing, which I found in a way disappointing when they didn't. I felt like they hadn't done all the avenues, but you know, I'm not close up, so I don't know what all the avenues are. But I I just felt like they could have explained a few things more. Okay. So you would have liked the process to be um, uh, explained a bit more. Yeah, yeah. And I, like, I was encouraged to ask questions at the time. I would freeze up. So, and it would be difficult getting in contact occasionally with the detectives and that. So I do find it a little bit stilted at times, but, you know, I understand that they're busy and they were doing the best job that they could. Yeah. Uh, pardon me if I um, ignore certain things, but every now and then I have a bit of difficulty um, picking up what you're saying. So if there's an obvious question there that I don't ask, it's because I, I'm just having a little bit of trouble, but I, I'm sure um, the, the message is um, coming through loud and clear. And I suppose the reason I say that is I'm not sure, did you did you say you picked him? Was did you were you able to identify him in the the um, f- photo board? Um, so they got me to make an image, like this person's oh, eyebrows, okay. this person's eyes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's a lot better. However, you're talking now. However, you wherever you are, that's a lot better. So, what was it in the reporting process, in the police process, which? upset you the most or made you feel the most uncomfortable? Um, making a statement was difficult 
Um, and then, like, of course, my partner, Katrina Statement, and my dad did as well, which I think is because they were the first people I told. Um, and I don't know what they've said in their statements, which I don't know if it's curiosity or not, or, but I would like to know. Um, but, of course, like, I'm, I'm not allowed to know, which I do find odd. Like, they don't really tell you why you can't know. Um, so that was annoying. But I, what I found the most difficult was sometimes it was very hard to get in touch with the sexual crime squad. And occasionally, like, the person I could call was something called, like, City West. There was a detective sergeant there that who I love. Um, he would always, he'd look things up for me. Like, I'd be like, I'm trying to get in touch with this person. And he tried, like, he tried to put me through and it would come back to him. Like, he was basically the best switchboard operator for a detective. Um, and then I'd, I'd say I'd give my name and what had happened, and he went, "Oh, okay." And his name's Greg. And if you're listening, Greg, I love you. <laughs> he was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was yeah. The communication was a little bit frustrating, and there was one instance I got a letter from the, um, the sexual crime squad, and I live in a very small town, and it was addressed to me and just said "sexual crime squad" on the back, and I thought, "Oh, what does the town think I did?" <laughs> Or have I been, like, there is a certain amount of shame and stigma that comes with being a rape victim. And I wondered, like, if the post office, the postman through the whole town knows, was, what did he think? So I think there could be a little bit more discretion. Yeah, you know, there's some really, really important lessons in that um explanation there is a couple of things I picked up. Number one is I think a victim of a, 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 it doesn't matter whether it's a sexual assault, anybody that reports anything to a police station, what they want is, and most people do, but what they want is just to be updated every now and then just for somebody to touch base, to see how you're travelling, to see if there's anything that you know, they can do or just to tell you something about what is happening with the case. And I understand there are people that don't want that, but that is something that a police person should be asking you initially. Do you want us to, uh, you know, ring you every now and then just to touch base? Because some people will say, uh, yes, I would appreciate that. Others would say, no, I don't really want to hear from you. You know, with all due respect, I don't want to hear from you. So that's really important, though, to know what your um, your victim or the person that has reported this, what they want, what they expect. Um, but also that's something very powerful, the envelope, you know, with the sexual assault, uh, sexual crime squad on the back like, in my view, that's pretty major stuff because you, you're right. If it's addressed to you and on the back it says sexual crime squad, hello, you know, well, what would you be uh, receiving something for? And and it doesn't matter what it is. You could have been a witness. You could have been anything. But um, small towns talk, don't they? They really do. The annoying part, they really do. So, mm. Mm. On the bright side, our town is growing, so I'm becoming slightly more anonymous, I hope. Yeah, yeah. Um, so can you tell me about your recovery and how you've managed to get this far? Like, you know, a new little baby and life is obviously very different to three years ago. How, how have you got to this point? 
Um, it's all been a lot of a blur, and they were in, there's not no like step by step process that I could really like. I guess I'm lucky things have fallen sort of into place. Like having a baby, he is everything. Like he emotional. Um, he just you know, he gives me something to look forward to every day, and he's such a good yeah. baby. Um, yeah. And he gives you a focus, doesn't he? He does. He really does. Yeah, yeah, a purpose. Mm. He certainly lets you know when he thinks you're not focusing enough. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I, once I'd reported to the police, uh, Socket put me in touch with um, CASA, the Crisis Against Sexual Assault, I think they're called. Um, who had a, a really good um, psychologist there, but they were a little under-resourced, um, so it was quite difficult getting an appointment with her. Um, and I think I ended up Googling for another counsellor that was um, had experience in sexual assault or traumatic experiences, which ended up putting me in with the Victims Helpline, which is run by Anglicare, I think. And they connected me with a psychologist and they also actually started a vocab plan for me, which I had no idea existed. Um, I just rang them asking about what can they recommend for counselling. And then that put me through a vocab claim, and, which is a bit too fine claim. So that was you know, helpful, but I tried like EMDR, which is the um, example, the eye movement desensitisation and reprogramming, yeah. You know, it shouldn't be. You just said then it was difficult to get an appointment with a psychologist. It shouldn't be difficult, Beck. That is wrong. You are a victim of a serious sexual assault. That just, it makes me angry that... I know it you know it was 12 months down the track or 10 months whatever it be it doesn't matter how long it's been since the assault you you shouldn't have to have any difficulty in getting um a psych uh, you know a counseling appointment that is just it infuriates me um and the, you, I think you said something about there was an issue with funding. There should never be an issue with funding for victims of sexual assault. When uh, when is the government going to? Oh God, it makes me angry. Anyway, let's not let's not go off on a tangent. Um, settle down, Narelle. Take a deep breath. <laughs> um, hey, it's interesting you talk about EMDR because I had that with my post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, and I found that fascinating. I also believe it worked for me. It doesn't for everybody. Did you feel it helped you? Um, so my psychologist uh, gave me a diagnosis of severe delayed onset post-traumatic stress disorder and with the EMDR I found it the most annoying, frustrating, and most unhelpful thing ever. It would give me a headache. <laughs> and like they said, like we'd start off with like small things, like, you know, bad memories. And it just made me pissed off about other things. Like it was just rage inducing. I hated it. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. And and I can see 
I can see why. Um, I can certainly see how to give you a headache. Um, but yeah, it, it doesn't work for everybody. In fact, I've got a number of colleagues that uh, have got PTSD themselves been diagnosed and it's very divisive. Like some people say it's fantastic. They either say it's great or it isn't. There's never, I haven't had anybody say, oh, you know, it was okay. <laughs> um, tell me about your uh, decision. You told me when we were preparing for today that you returned to the scene of the crime. Tell me about how it felt. Um, so I was in the city with a friend. Um, she got in a hotel room and, you know, the night before they'd gone to the Crown sort of thing. And a friend and I drove down. I was in my pyjamas because I thought we are just going for a quick visit. Um, we drove down and we ended up staying like half the day and I'm in bright purple pyjama pants. Um, so I was very fashionable, but she sort of looked at me. <laughs> and we were going to go to 7-Eleven or Coles or something. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll go. And props to her because she strolled on down Burke Street and Collins Street in those pants with me. Um <laughs> And I said, oh, I, I think I said to her, we're not actually far from where it happened. And she goes, oh, do you want, do you want to go this way? And Sarah goes, to go the long way. And if anything, laziness is my middle name. Well, I'm not going to walk the long way. And we were right, we were best, you know, a block over. And I said, oh, I actually want to see what it's like going down there. And I didn't know it at the time, but she actually filmed me walking down there. Like she was standing behind me and she actually filmed it. And she's actually since passed away. She passed away in April um, for reasons I am actually, I don't know. We sort of stopped talking for a little while and then I've actually just, yeah, found out she's passed away. And I will never stop appreciating what she did for me that day because as I walk down, I, I don't like cobblestones um, because of what happened. Although I've never loved them anyway. Um but I, I stopped in front of the alcove and she put her hand on my shoulder. And then and the fact that she filmed it, like, you know, I could say that I did this and, like, I proof. Like, I remember going home to my parents and saying, look what I did, look what, where me and Amber went. Um, you know, I did it and, I did, I, and nothing bad happened to me, I guess. Um, so, yeah, it was like a, I could go back there and, it wasn't the laneway's fault. Like it was, yeah. I found it quite, yeah, healing. Oh, gee, that, uh, yeah, that's. Um, I was just wondering, putting myself in that position, uh, you know, about going back to a scene, and I, I think at the right time it might be healing, and there would be would be other people that you know that just couldn't and never be able to. I don't know, go into the city again or. Uh, you mentioned something interesting there. Um, you said that you've since then you've never liked cobblestones. Would would you call cobblestones a trigger for you? Oh yes, definitely. They're the worst ones. Were <laughs> my hands are sweating thinking about them. I can't stand them. They're, they're never fun to walk on in heels anyway. But to be yanked by your hair going backwards across them, less than pleasant. Yeah. What other uh, – it's just interesting um, about triggers uh, just because people get a bit um, confused with triggers and flashbacks. They're, they're quite different but they, and I understand they can be confusing but from my point of view, a trigger is something that affects our emotional state and that often results in a, 
a really significant emotional reaction, which we just um, you just cannot control. It's like feeling extremely overwhelmed. You're shaking, like you just said. Then you're sweating and you're shaking a bit. Um, just feeling extreme distress. Triggers are really personal, and like you just said then about your your cobblestones, and they differ with everybody. But triggers cause your body to react as if you're in danger, don't they? And a flashback, on the other hand, is when your mind goes back to the incident which traumatised you and you've got this picture in your mind of, say, the deceased person, the car accident, the person who assaulted you, whatever, but the actual incident which causes the trigger. So I hope that helps with people what is the difference between a, a, a trigger and a flashback. But your triggers, you said cobblestones, but you had some others that were uh, very um, personal. Can you tell us what some of the other uh, triggers that you um, experience? Um, sorry, I can't wear stockings anymore. Um, which is annoying because I used to really like a good winter dress with some tights. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that I find them like just the restrictiveness of them. Like it, I start to sweat and I just want to take them off. Um, it's like a panic really. And also because I think because I got yanked by my hair, I used to have quite long blonde hair and it was up in a ponytail that day so it got yanked. Um, and it's happened twice. Like I – it got to the point where I couldn't actually brush my hair. I didn't like the pulling sensation. Okay, yep. And then, of course, my hair actually got matted, um, which I was so embarrassed about, and then I couldn't brush it, and it got repeatedly worse, and I ended up having to have it cut off um, at a hairdresser, which I was crying about, and I thought, what well, they must think of me. Um, and then I grew out my hair, I guess it got to about shoulder length, and it actually happened again that, I, you know, it's not a conscious decision every day that I'm like, no, I can't brush my hair. It's just it, all of a sudden, it's like you wake up all of a sudden and you know, you've got completely matted hair. So being cut a second time, and the second time it was cut, it was actually cut in a room with um, a makeup artist that did it. I was getting my nails done at the place, and both women in the room with me were actually victims of assault sexual assault themselves so it felt like it, it was more healing that time around and I brush it every day now so but it's still quite short yeah but but also that also shows that over time uh, our triggers and our flashbacks or particularly the triggers they can um, become less um, they affect us less. I don't think they will ever, uh, the triggers that we all experience will never, ever go away. But as time goes on, they become less, um, oh, what's that word, where you just, um, you know, you get all overwhelmed and shaky and all that. It just dissipates over time, but never to the point where it, you know, it never will affect you. Um, So, what would you say now to somebody who's considering at this very point whether or not to report an incident they've been involved in? Um, I would say report it. Like, mm. there's, and what I found, like, even with the woman that cut my hair, there was a whole world of people who do good things over and, like, beyond what they should. There are nice people out there. 
and you know, healing sort of starts with you know it's the same after after winter comes spring. So it might be bigger money, which is a really shit time right now, but you can only get further and further away from it and you know, record it. You know, if they do it to somebody else, it sounds terrible, but will you forgive yourself? Like that that's what spurred me to record it. Will I forgive myself if you know, I was okay, 24, 25, when it happened. And what if the next person was 14 or 15 or 4 or 5? I didn't know what this man was into. So recording it was hard, but it was the most freeing thing I've ever done. And it really helps you open your eyes and see just how many good people there are in the world. (laughs) Looking back, Beck, were there any advantages in holding back reporting the matter? None whatsoever. I, I lost years of my life. Gee, that's, uh, that's hmm, very interesting. And, Beck, one other thing before we finish up. Um, so at this stage, the, the matter um, is uh, what we call unsolved, so he's never been identified. Is that correct? That's correct. He is still out there. Oh, boy. Okay. Frightening thought. Um, Well, Beck, thank you uh, for sharing with us something none of us ever want to experience or wish upon anyone. But what it does show is that it can and does happen. And what you've shared with us today shows that over time you will, you will get better, you will be able to get back to some form of normality, even if it's different uh, to previously. And that there are many complex reasons why a person doesn't report a matter immediately. In fact, some people never report it. Uh, So I've got to say thank you for your inspiration and strength in telling us about the worst day of your life. Thanks, Beck. Thanks, Sarah. Hey, it's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to leave a rating and even a review and please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.